<clears throat> yeah, uh, welcome back to episode 142 of the Michael Anthony Show, which now is unfortunately getting into the habit of appearing every second week. And um, although it's nobody's fucking concern why it is something that's going to stop, and I hope everybody who is listening to it is um, is doing well. I hope there's no postnatal depression um in in the family or anything um before we do begin um it is my responsibility to just point the listeners in the right direction towards something that makes absolutely no sense and that is the fact that AS Roma play Feyenoord tonight in the Europa League conference final um, with um, somebody we all know who I adore, um, Jose Mourinho, managing the Rome-based football team. For some reason, they are telling us that for Jose Mourinho to lift that trophy tonight, it is 8-13. to so they're claiming that um, it would occur 13 out of 21 times. 5-4 um, to four for, for Roma to win in normal time for people who um, want to have fun. But to claim that Jose Mourinho's 8-13 to lift this tonight is up there with the 8-13 um, I got on. Mayweather to not McGregor out in 2017. Um, people are talking about the fact that Jose Mourinho is 4 out of 4 in European finals. It is, of course, relevant. Not as relevant as the fact that he's 11 of 14 overall in finals. Um, a record dating back to his Porto stint, um, in which everyone, of course, remembers the 04 season in which he won the league, won the European Cup with fucking Porto, and got to the Portuguese final, which he lost, but due to the fact that a, a European Cup final was pending, so he couldn't really do the Mourinho thing. And having won the Portuguese Cup the season before, as well as the UEFA Cup and the league, the boys just took their eye off the ball a bit. And that's not to say they didn't take the 04 Cup final, one of his only Cup losses to extra time, as they did in the Copa del Rey in 2013 in another one of his cup losses in a game that doesn't really exist the number of cards um, that actually occurred in that match against Atletico Madrid take away from the importance of the game it, it was a Royal Rumble um, as opposed to a football match and then of course you have his other cup final loss which is 2018 FA Cup uh, against Chelsea when he was the Manchester United manager in which we played a back five nearly five years after Fergie left that all played under Fergie um, something that for me just highlights the brilliance of Jose Mourinho's stint at the club. David De Gea, Ashley Young, Valencia, two wingers turned fullbacks with Jones and Smalling at centre half. Jones takes down Hazard. Um, the rest is history and Mourinho loses his third final. But the rest he has won. Um, as I said, you, you have the European Cup at Porto, 04. You have the UEFA Cup, 03, and the Portuguese Cup, 03, as well as the league. So the 03 season is actually nearly more impressive than the 04 one because he did a treble 
with the UEFA Cup and the next season nearly did a treble but lost the Portuguese Cup final to Benfica as we pointed out he then goes to Chelsea wins the League Cup 05 League Cup 07 FA Cup 07 then at Inter he wins the Coppa Italia and the European Cup Real Madrid Coppa del Rey returns to Chelsea League Cup it's, it's just stupid his ability to ensure that he's on the right side of the result when two teams meet up in an all-or-nothing game of association football. And it's because of his personality. It's because he has the ability, especially when it's a one-day event, to have his players believe that losing not just isn't an option, but isn't a possibility. And as um, I speak and you listen right now, he's probably walking around a hotel um, narrating on Tammy Abrams' calf massage and reminding Chris Smalling about the role he played in the 2017 League Cup final and 2017 Europa League final under the guidance of Mourinho himself. He's the master of it. And we all know, anybody who knows not even just anything about sport, but the world, that Jose Mourinho isn't going to be in a losing press conference tonight after the Feyenoord game. And yes, he'll overrate the importance of the Conference League. It's what he does. It's also his first season. that He doesn't, doesn't fail in first seasons. The first full season of Porto, two cup final wins. First season at United, two final wins, Europa League, League Cup. First season at Real Madrid, Copa del Rey 2011. First season at Chelsea, 05 League Cup. And even his first full season at Tottenham, when he had the League Cup final pending against City, Levy had to fucking get rid of him. Because when Mourinho turned Guardiola over, which he would have fucking done, Levy wouldn't have been able to get rid of him. This is a um, humorous odd. And something that um, I plead with listeners to, to make the most of. And would be quite disappointed in them if they didn't man woman or child if you're even a female listening to this don't be intimidated by the big fucking green sign just walk in gender equality use a machine ignore the guy who stinks of piss in the corner who's just pressing hot water repeatedly into a paper cup ignore the fucking biscuit tin that has two half-eaten bourbons left in it and a few fucking filters from a pack of Amberleaf. And ignore the passive aggression from the one behind the counter who's kind of annoyed that there's another woman in her zone because she really enjoys, although she complains when she fucking gets home, sitting behind that counter for eight hours a day and having old, degenerate alcoholics flirt with her. Ah, Declan, you're back. How was Santa Panza? Was good? I'd say I'm dying for a holiday. Shut up. And another thing I must say to you, don't use the toilet. If you've ever been in a situation, like you're in a foreign city and you've, you've no option but to go to the toilet, so you have to walk into the Burger King or the, the McDonald's and you just gather more and more tissue on the back of your foot as you walk to the toilet. If you think that's bad. No, I, sorry, another thing about that is why do people, the way we treat Toilets and places we don't give a shit about just, for me, says so much about us as human beings. 
Whenever you walk into a fast food restaurant and the jacks isn't shit, we, we're very quick to blame the homeless or blame the late night kind of piss up culture. But ask yourself the question, do you respect it when you go in? I don't. I love to complain about the stink of piss or the shit all over the walls in the Burger King jacks, but when I go in there, I contribute to it. I'm not taking the flush as seriously as I would somewhere else. Or even necessarily washing hands. But some of the shit that goes on in there is inexcusable. The fucking used nappies, all that shit. But if you think that's bad, a Jackson of Bucky's will change your life. So if you are a female listener, taking my advice on this, um, take into account some of the things I've said. In and out, use the machine. Or maybe even have a chat with your fella and see if he has an online account. But if he's been denying that to you for the last six years, as well as his um, monthly cocaine use, I doubt he's going to expose himself in the name of the Europa League conference final, which he probably already has heavily backed. Most likely a completely idiotic market. Like any time goal scorer. Leave him. Leave him. He's a, no. He's a waste of time. And people are asking me as well, why haven't you been speaking about, um, why haven't you been speaking about United recently as much? What do you want me to speak about? I spend months um, explaining the dystopian situation in Manchester, at Old Trafford. And then it occurs. What do you want me to do? Take pride in it. And just reaffirm the grimness of the situation. I couldn't, not even just in terms of the show, even day-to-day interactions with, I won't say friends, I don't really like people but other human beings I, I don't it's unbelievably upsetting what happened on Sunday wasn't funny at all either when when City went one down and then two down I two down I was nearly happy because I, I, I thought they needed to concede the second to to get going I thought they were fucked if they stayed one now but it really wasn't funny when a situation looked like it was possibly lining up in which Liverpool had all three domestic trophies before going to play a European Cup final. But not just in a sport point of view or or banter. It, it was life-changing. And obviously it's... It's great that it didn't happen and, and City do deserve the league without question. I think the fact that United fans now are okay with City winning the league, obviously it says a bit about us in terms of how bad our situation is that when City won the league in 12 or even 14, although 14 was ahead of Liverpool, it was much more disgusting emotionally. Um, But for me it also says a lot about them as a club. They are just a... They are just a symbol of modern money in football. They may as well put Queen Elizabeth's fucking face on their jersey. Um, everyone's kind of cool with it. They're light blue jerseys and Pep Guardiola, one of the great football minds 
continuing to manage Man City and be there at the parade after or on the stage with such a limited atmosphere. It's just all a bit robotic and corporate and soulless that it's just like a default fucking situation when City win the league at Liverpool. It's you just can move on instantly and it's it's not just due to the fact that we need Liverpool not to equal our title or threaten the legacy of the treble. It's it's because City are so embarrassing that there's only so much you can care. But the United situation is... It's gotten so bad that you've... You, obviously with the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer situation, everybody who who knew that he was just been basically held up via strings at the hands of the Glazers, um, which forced a situation in which Solskjaer lovers and United stalwarts had to criticise somebody they loved. Because that happened, there's, ne- there's nearly a expectancy that you won't speak your mind again. Because then you just risk being someone who nearly enjoys complaining about Manchester United. But if if we're going to get real about the situation, the first thing is Ralph Ragnick. Um, he comes into the club and obviously people are talking about the fact that uh, he's going upstairs and this wasn't his job. That's one of the most ridiculous arguments I've ever heard. Ralph Ragnick is a football manager. He's taking the Austria job. He's managed before. And when he came to United, he 100% had one of his specky eyes on getting the job on a permanent basis. Now, we understand there was a toxic dressing room and shit was absolutely fucking horrible. But at the end of the day, it's his responsibility still, as an interim manager, to create something that mirrors a football team. The job he's done although in a very strange context, is 100% the worst managerial job ever done in footballing history. His win ratio was in the fucking 30s. It wasn't necessarily an overly difficult top four to get. He's been fucking disgraceful. Him and Ten Hag's relationship seems like two guys who are going out with a set of sisters who absolutely fucking dread seeing each other at every family event. And I don't really know how long Ragnick's going to stay. He over-explains the most simplistic points to an extent that makes a tennis coach look like they're skilled communicators. I don't know if any of you fuckers have ever got a tennis lesson, but the fucking over-complication and the way they describe how you spin the ball and you and you fucking slice. Put your foot forward. Shut up. Let's just start rallying. I'll get a fucking grip of it and fucking analyze me mid-rally. We don't need these slow motion examples. That form of coaching for children, it, whether it's a fucking tackle, whether it's how to pass. Get the balls out. Let's get a feel for the fucking thing. Let's get our muscle memory going. Not fucking sitting here watching some fat fucker do a slow-mo. On some quest of self-indulgence. People who coach kids anyway. I know we need them. Fucking freaks. Especially parents who get involved. Who've no background. 
in the fucking sport, whether it be as a fan or a fucking player. Those fuckers showing up coaching their son's teams. Fucking freaks. What kind of void is going on there? With the other parents watching them and all. And the ones who don't drop their fucking sons, which is fucking all of them, by the way. Get a fucking reality check. They're never even sports guys. They don't feel the soul of sport. They're never necessarily overly involved in watching the weekend's big game or have an opinion on anything got to do with the overall sporting world. They are just fucking freaks living vicariously through a kid who wants to bury their fucking head in the sand out of humiliation, the fact that their dad has a pair of fucking boots on. Trying to make up for the fact that they couldn't get on the fucking team themselves when they were younger. They are... Ragnick nearly reminds you of one of those guys. But to go a step further, and and this isn't something I want to say, because I like Eric Ten Hag, and his managerial career so far has been impressive. He's done a good job everywhere he's gone, Um, although in the Dutch league. I mean, Frank De Boer won four of them with Ajax. But if we're going to judge him in terms of his tactics, his man management, um his eye for a player, all that stuff is, you can't question it. I also like the fact that Steve is coming in, although there was a possibility against Steve to come on the show not too long ago, and it looked like it might be happening this summer, and now that's just not going to be happening. But I'd rather Steve hopefully attempting to bring some morale um, to that dressing room as opposed to sitting opposite a Fuckbag like me. Um, the only problem I have with the Ten Hag situation is personality. And I said to myself, I'm not going to be quick to judge this guy. And obviously you have the give him a chance fucking mentality that's coming to Manchester United. I mean, all we do now is give chances. There's never an, an urgency to fucking any of it. Give him time. And then what? Then get into a debate a year and a half into whether or not he's good enough or not. And then the fucking same cunts are saying give him time. I think you know quite early. And in his presser, I know people are saying that he was whatever stoic and stern and business-like. But there has to come a the point in which you question whether or not the cunt's shy. Whether or not he's afraid. I mean, when he's coming out of Selhurst Park and he's blanking the Sky Sports presenter and the security guards battering him as if he's walking out of the fucking Grammys with Puff Daddy. Don't go to the game if you're not going to give a brief few sentences when you're walking out of it. It is the Manchester United job. We don't need that fucking drama. If you see Cotterell that eager, just give him a happy to be here, whatever bullshit. And then you have the situation in which he's wearing the same fucking tin of fruit the next day. 
I mean, I'm not a materialistic guy. I don't, I don't give a shit about what he's he's wearing or his style of suit. But I mean, it's a very standout piece. It's a fucking cream jacket. Is there no one in the fucking PR team who could say, "Not a great look, Eric"? It's the same fucking tin. But it's not just that. It's when he walked in and he's arranging a nearly forced relationship with the journalists who are at it, who will be the kind of bones of the journalists who go on the preseason tour. And he's looking to create this kind of mannerly thing in which he's not overly committing to anything. If he's not going to make some statements or commit to anything and say things like, I make analyze. I mean, I thought his English was better as well until the presser. I don't know if it was nerves or what. The, the English, especially for a Dutch guy, it's average at best. But if he wasn't ready for the presser, don't do it so early. But I don't know if it was a case of not being ready. I think that the reality is there's a possibility the job's too big for him. And Manchester United management comes down to personality. Whether that's fucking Tommy Doherty, Ron Atkinson, two guys who had half-decent stints as Manchester United managers, considering the context. Fergie, obviously. Sir Matt Busby. And even Ernest fucking Magnell, back in the day, complete showman. Took us on tours around Europe before anyone was fucking doing it. Is it a safety net? To get in the quiet Heisenberg-looking fucker who we think can do it, but it will still be nearly a bit of a surprise if he challenges. Because if Poch comes in with the looks, the charm, the experience in England, there's an expectancy on him. There's an expectation attached to him immediately. The media... And United fans, nearly in general, wouldn't really give him the time. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Because urgency and pressure is what creates brilliance in football management. Mourinho has that. Conte has that. Fergie had that. Guardiola has that. I know we can say Klopp, but A, Klopp's job at Dortmund was a lot different to Ten Hag's at Ajax. And B, when he came in, he didn't take on the media in a combative way, but he fucking sat down and showed his personality, and he took control of the context. He didn't just kind of keep his secrets to himself. He let them know who he was. And if Ten Hag is trying to do a privacy thing and I'll do my talking on the pitch, Manchester United is one of the only clubs left in the world game in which you get those Mike Bassett interviews, in which question two is someone saying their fucking name, paper, and asking what makes you think you're so fucking special. Not necessarily what does it feel like and or how proud are you to have this job. That might come, but straight off the bat, what gives you the audacity to take this job? And they will keep prodding you until they get a reaction. So that guy who's trying to internalize things and not express his emotions goes in on himself. 
and I really hope this isn't the situation, but based off just what I've seen so far, and the fucking going around the canteen, shaking the hands of every fucking cunt who's ever sold a football in the megastore, it kind of made me realise again, oh yeah, the Glazers are behind this at the end of the day. And this guy could easily be struggling for results. 15 months into his reign. And Twitter's divided over him. And he's nearly just repeatedly saying that the club's in a transitional period. And there's a lot to work on. Which at the end of the day is a form of not taking responsibility. Ralph Ragnick has come in. And everyone says he's honest. And he's blown the doors open. And he's told us the truth about the football club. Ralph Ragnick also really hasn't addressed just how fucking bad he's done. And he came in as interim manager. And he does these arrogant fucking sighs. As if he has all the answers. Yet, Stephen Kenny would have done better than him in the interim role. You couldn't have done worse than he did. You just couldn't. If we'd kept Carrick until the end of the season... We'd have 10 more league points. It's not to say Carrick knew what the fuck he was doing. I just don't see how you can do worse with any level of quality, let alone, at the end of the day, players who technically and historically, some of them were half decent. Now, not for a second am I saying Ten Hag is going to fail. Maybe this is the answer. Although he from he, he looked like he was smaller even in the press. He looked like he shrank. And maybe things do go his way. Fixtures is massive. Obviously recruitment is big. I think we will recruit well, but it's about what they become when they get to United. But you could, like, ideally fixtures, ideally opening days away at City. Get that fixture out of the fucking way early and also have them nearly starting slow like they did this season. Um, a bit hungover from winning the league. And we get a nil-all draw there. Then, second game of the season, hopefully the playoff winners in Old Trafford. Four points in two games. Then next... We go somewhere where we have a traditionally good record, hopefully. Maybe a Villa Park. Maybe we go to Ellen Road and take on a Leeds team who are still a bit lethargic from from staying up and the Jesse Marsh questions are growing and growing and our fans have a great day out and it's considered a big away win. And then next up, a big-name team like Arsenal, who on paper present themselves as one of England's big clubs, but we all know have a, have a vulnerability. And we beat them too. That could change Ten Hag's entire fucking Manchester United career if we got four opening games like that. We don't, This is all possible. But we got to be thinking about what was the best chance and best possibility to get Manchester United fighting for titles as soon as possible. This whole thing of top four next season and a cup, these, these are ridiculous just things to say. Football changes so quickly. You can't aim for mediocrity or aim for things below the standards of the club. Because it becomes a fucking habit. Then every new gaffer who comes in has that expectation. 
I know Real Madrid and Chelsea and these clubs operate differently and have better squads and swap managers uh, for the crack. But they're never too far off success due to their mentality. And I don't know why we are acting like we don't have spending power and history that should result in us never being too far away from the top table. Anything can happen. Van Dijk could get injured again next season. Pep could start getting a bit bored. Conte could leave out of nowhere. We don't know. But stop aiming for fourth. Aim for fucking 12 points in your first four fucking games. That's that's 10 hags aim. But if we got four, the way we've set it up now, no one's going to have a problem. If Poch came in and got four, pitchforks. There's parts of me that fear it's a safety net appointment and the Glazers love it that's the that's the truth of it and I really really hope it isn't the case as I said you cannot question him as a footballing man you cannot question his background but we're talking about a club that just gave employment to Chris Armas or however the fuck you pronounce his name. We hired him in a, in a footballing role. And Ragnik had no bother with that. Ragnik, who is now moving upstairs. Don't let the standards slip to an extent in which they've completely hypnotised us into a whole new fucking realm. In, the, in which the fans are now buying these obscure appointments with the dreams of it being philosophical or the way to do it or in that kind of Klopp model there's there's every possibility that this is our Jared Hulia appointment that kind of drama with Roy Evans that co-manager shit now we've Ragnick who was the interim apparently moving upstairs and there's the Austria job it's all very fucking dramatic and people blanking reporters and security guards knocking their heads off them. It's very much soap opera stuff in which it doesn't really seem to be controlled or have any planning or meaning behind it. It seems a bit like we're throwing darts at a fucking board hoping that it hits treble 20. And Manchester United fans have to realise that the guys who are making these decisions, Richard Arnold, people like this, who for some reason now is not necessarily disliked, that that guy is Ed Woodward. These guys took a club from five leagues in seven years with the two losses being on goal difference and by a point to not being even nearly in a title race. That, that occurred in 2013. So yeah, I could talk about United and say Ten Hag's the answer. and I'm buzzing for it, but... I fear the personality isn't there, but Jesus Christ, I hope it is. I hope... Uh, kind of boring 
shy football manager with minimal experience is the guy who can turn Manchester United, Georgie Best, Dennis Law, Eric Cantona, Roy Keane, Fergie, Brian fucking Kidd around and can take on Pep Guardiola at Man City and Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool. Let's not forget about fucking Chelsea. Just because it's not Solskjaer doesn't mean it's ever ego sacky. But I'll be the first guy fucking there. Fully behind Ten Hag. It's just a fear I have. It's just a, a stream of consciousness on the situation. Been asked to talk about Manchester United. It'll be wrong of me not to talk about it. Honestly. And do what a lot of football fans do and just blindly follow the decisions of, of bankers and accountants about topics they don't understand. So yeah, the, the best bet's just to ignore it all. Hope for good fixtures. Hope for fucking posts to be hit on the inside and not the outside and yeah to even just talk about the, the players and shit like that at this point is ridiculous those those fuckers aren't worthy of analysis but here we go Eric Ten Hag um, welcome to the theatre of dreams and hopefully we can shock the world because that's what it will be. We've we've opted to get someone in um, to shock the world, as opposed to someone who nearly gives opposition fans that genuine fear of oh fuck. But let's do it. While I'm on football, just one other issue is. Uh, His son of Tottenham. Um, the fact that he wasn't nominated for PFA Player of the Year for the, for the second year running uh, after winning the Golden Boot and, and last season getting 17 league goals. Um, I think only one was a penalty. I mean, Fernandez got 18 last season and took more penalties than a fucking 10 year old on his birthday at ESB Sports Co. Um, we would want to re examine this kind of humorous. Do my fucking Matt's homework, follow the rules, be a kamikaze pilot, and shit in the hole in the ground attitude we have towards um, the Vietnamese, Koreans, Chinese, Japanese, all this shit. Um, we nearly feel like they're, they owe us their labor in return um, for us putting the finishing creative touches on any piece of work. And that goes for every industry. And obviously, Park Ji Sung. Jisung Park, Three Lung Park, as he was um, humorously referred to by, by, by football fans um, in Manchester at the time. Obviously, these guys played that role, but we're, we're really getting um, mixed up with this Son guy. He, he's one of the most technically gifted footballers to ever grace the shores of England. He's unbelievably consistent. He... Does it every season, yet every season we act as if it's a shock. If he was Belgian, if he was Spanish, if he was English, if he was Italian, and when he's performing the way he's performing, 
would be calling him the best player in the league sometimes. And we all know that's true. So I don't know why we just don't directly analyse the problem with Son. I mean, we, we, we know we, we talk about prejudice and racism and all forms of thing happen, happening in football, but because Pearl Harbor occurred or Funaki was used as a joke character, or maybe the Americans went into Vietnam and Korea and raped every man, woman, and child in their fucking way throughout the 20th century. We refuse to recognize this guy for what he is and nearly expect him to create a more updated version of the iPhone as opposed to score remarkable curling goals from outside the area. And I'm sick of it. So next season, before it begins, um, let's start talking about Sun. And also the fact that Paolo Maldini, um, at age 49, played a professional tennis game. He entered a tournament with his private tennis coach at the time. As I said, age 49, they won something and qualified for a professional tournament in which they played against a guy who used to be ranked 44th in the world in doubles. That was after he retired from one of the greatest football careers of all time. Um, Really don't know why we don't have tattoos of Maldini with a tennis racket because it's fucking stupid. Anyway, let's crack into the chat. Um, with this week's guest, Father Dougal, Ardlo Hanlon. Um, it's fine. I was on a flight a few days before in that fucking AC. This fucker was eating a bag of crisps beside me. Licking each finger after he fucking have one. I, I don't get crisps. If you have to give a fucking Polish prostitute blowjob to each one of your fingers every time you put a fucking what's it in your mouth, you pig. Anyway, he was making sure both the fucking AC little circular things were on fucking maximum level, which blocked the shit out of your face. So with a blocked face for this. Fucking eyes under pressure, no smell, all that shit, which just makes you angry. But uh, no, I hope you enjoyed. Arnold's a, a good man and a pillar of Irish society, really. Um, rate the show on, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And, and yeah, tell that fucking colleague or or fucking cousin you have to see at some fuckbag's wedding um, about what we're doing here at the MA show Um, back next week here we go character you took on as a comedian that level of self-deprecation was that the only way that you kind of deemed possible to express yourself yeah probably yeah yeah i was always full of self-doubt and always uh wrestling with the whole idea of being on a stage or on tv why did that exist though why not just be a nerd and go to a lab um, or be I don't an economist know. I, because I had a yearning, a yearning to express myself. Is that because your old fellow was so Fianna Fáil and so conservative, and you really 
needed to rebel? I'd say my head was always buried in books as a kid. Like, I, I had two dimensions to me life growing up. I was into my football. So if I wasn't out in the garden or out in the road playing football with the neighbours or in my garden playing football on my own for morning to night, I would have been found with a book. So I always lived in my imagination, whether it was like dreaming of football in glory or... Mm. Wanting to be John Giles. Yeah, wanting to be John Giles or, or, or reading like... I mean, like avidly from a very early age, you know, and not just like my mother was really into books and she always provided us with loads of books growing up. And um, so I would have read all the stuff that you'd expect a child to read, like a pretentious child to read, like Chronicles of Narnia, like, you know, um, Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and all this kind of stuff growing up. But then, you know, I would read everything in the library. I, I would read medical books, medical textbooks. I'd read the encyclopedia. I'd try and go through it letter by letter and try and... You know, so I just wanted to know stuff. Was it curiosity or was there were you that guy who also liked showing off to the kind of knobhead rugby players who knew fuck all about anything and you kind of could then patronise them internally? Maybe not say it in the canteen because you didn't want to smack <laughs> but you could hang around the lockers with the other no, geeks. I, not, not really. Like, honestly, you know, I was kind of passive. Do you know what I mean? Like, I wasn't t- trying to take on the world or anything like that. I mean, yeah, I was very aware of those guys. Later on, I suppose, very aware of, you know, people, people like that. But... I lived in me. I lived, you know, I was very content with my own company for, uh, you know, for, you know, when I was very young, like, um, you know, I used to read the papers, like, and I thought that was normal. I thought everyone read the papers at the age of seven, you know, and I read everything in the papers, front page, back page, small ads, sports pages, political pages, international news. You know, I was a curious kid. I know it's kind of irrelevant, really, um, when you grow older to talk about things such a school but there has been great literature and shit like that released the fucking portrait of a young artist all that stuff the yeah. struggle in Clongos Black Rock College is a place that's also would be known in the UK it is kind of Ireland's sort of I mean yeah probably better known for its rugby but it's produced it produced like that's what I'm saying the Geldofs the U there is this kind no, of breakaway definitely. thing of it is that creativity yeah, well, if really anything good, heightened good writers like Paul Murray came out yeah. of that you know uh, who wrote Skippy's Die which is a brilliant contemporary Irish novel is uh, that numbers or is that just because Everyone there is kind of from a, a good, educated background yeah. in many ways. And if it's not the sporting form of it, it's going to be the literature my well, mom I gave mean, me books format. Like, like our, our, our Ireland society is constructed in a very different way than, than Britain's. I mean, you don't really have the rigid class structures here. So, like, even though Black Rock was a prestigious school, it, it was accessible to a lot of people. Like, I mean, you know, you, like the fees are, are the fees, but they're the same as the fees for, you know, the other handful of private schools in Dublin. They're not like, you know... Like, you know, Irish uh, boarding schools and private schools like that are subsidised by the state. So it's not like you need to have a multi multi billionaire father to end up in a school like that. It, 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 what it, appe- it appeals to the, you know, to the provincial sort of professionals, the doctors and the solicitors they, and the big farmers. They send their kids off to these schools to give them the best education they can because for some reason they don't think they can get them in their small towns. So, you know, I was surrounded by... Uh, you know, it's basically it's basically the Ireland's middle classes, you know, and um, uh, it was a big school as well. So you had about a thousand people there. So, you know, um, there was a big emphasis on sport, music, but also the arts uh, and and academics. So, like, yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that it it, it produces people like Geldof. Do you know the way like the Geldof stories are doing donuts on the fucking rugby pitch and Boomtown yeah. Rats lead singer? Is the rebellion of what that is, do you find it makes you more creative? 
Because it is, in a way, suppressive. Yeah, I mean, definitely I rebelled against that, like, to some extent. You know, even though I love sport, and I, and I, and I but I was never a jock, but I loved playing sport, I loved playing soccer, rugby. But would you have I, wanted to get on the team? No, it, it just wouldn't have been, I was a scrawny kid. It's a violent I, Yeah, it's a violent and I didn't thing. like confrontation. I didn't like, yeah. I didn't like pain. I never yeah. liked pain. You kind of have to hate fuckers, especially at the school <laughs> age, to do that shit. Well, I mean, there is a jock mentality, I guess, yeah. and, and, and certain people are built like and that. And there's backstories of my girlfriend mentioned his name two weeks ago, I'm going to tackle him harder. They're quite insecure well, the, people. The, the, it, 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 there is an element of that, and it is interesting. I think a lot of those people do go on to become titans of industry and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know they do excel in the professions and in the cutthroat corporate world I mean I think that is absolutely all true but as a purist someone who just loves sport like I did like playing rugby I liked the the dainty stuff I liked goal kicking I liked sidestepping and you know all that kind of stuff but I love watching all sports you know I'm a sports fanatic um, I would say so but I also had my sensitive side Michael <laughs> so I used to, I used to write poetry as a fourteen-year-old boy. Uh, Were you getting slagged? Um, not really. Like I, 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 I was a very self-contained kid. Like even though I was, I, w- I would say I was kind of shy. Uh, I would say I was under a lot of people's radar. People probably wouldn't have been really that aware of me at school. Like it was a big old environment to be thrown into. I was very self-conscious about my country accent, actually. Yeah. In in, in South County Dublin, um, there'd be things like that, you know. Um, for me, it's really important. Like, like that kind of environment doesn't shape you. It goes some way to making you very independent, uh, to being able to stand on your own two feet. You know, because it is a doggy dog world sometimes. Um, but you also make great friends. You, 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 you know, friends for life. Uh, you know, and you just you develop a thick skin. You know, you, how important is that moment then, in that six year debate or whatever, where out of nowhere that kind of yearning to be heard. You put your name down for the fucking debate and you essentially do your first stand-up set in front of yeah. all of the cunts there. Yeah. Was that the most nerve-wracking creative experience of your life still to this day? Uh, probably, yeah. It was definitely a big a big leap into the abyss. Like, you, I did not know what to expect. How did you know to do that? Because everyone would recommend that. That is the piece of advice. Yeah. Swim out to the deep waters yeah. is the only way to pursue yourself creatively. No, absolutely. And um, it was coming for a long time, I think, you know, um... I suppose I wanted to be noticed as well. Like you know, I wasn't going to excel on the on the rugby field. Uh, you know, uh, academically I was fine. Like, but I mean, I was really shy in class. I hated my hated being asked to answer a question yeah, or anything yeah. like that. I got very embarrassed if I was asked a question. Yeah. Um. You know, and we were always taught growing up to hide your lights under a bushel. You know, don't yeah, put yeah. yourself forward for anything. <laughs> I mean, it's a real part of growing up in Ireland. Like oh, certainly yeah. in rural Ireland, you know, just oh, yeah. don't show off. Don't speak, really. Don't speak, exactly, yeah. Yeah, and keep your head down. Which is why so much Irish writing and even music, whenever people do have the bollocks, even someone like McGregor, even in a weird kind of writing yeah. form like that in combat sport, yeah. whenever they go for it, it's nearly guaranteed to make noise because it stems from pain. Yeah. And it's either give a full fuck or give no fuck. Yeah, There's very yeah. few Irish people you see floating in between. No, that's really interesting. It's kind of, um, it's volcanic, like when it does yeah. erupt. Roy like, Keane. Yeah, no, I get that, and um, you know, uh, and you see it in, in in music and everything, you know, and I, and I do think, like, kind of art feeds art as well. Like, and I mean, if you know, we always, you know, we have this reverence for writers, singers, uh, even poets, uh, you know, storytellers in all their forms. You know, there's this reverence, and there's this kind of thing where you know, I I could do that, or it's perfectly normal to do that. In somewhere like Ireland, you know, it's 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 perfectly 
acceptable it's 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 valued you know um so like for me it was coming a long time uh to do that debate i knew i kind of had a good instinct for comedy I think at that stage, even though I wouldn't have watched an awful lot of TV, it was inspired by just getting laughs from mates. Yeah, it was. It was just, just uh, like that feeling, which I, which I think maybe you're still chasing. Maybe that's why I still do it. Is you're still chasing that, that camaraderie where you can't breathe. You're laughing so much where you're, where you're just with, with your friends, and you want that day to go on forever. And you love to be the guy that caused it. You as well. caused it. You got that reaction. How do you parent as an attention seeker? Um, how, what do you mean? It's not an ego, but it's nearly like a hypnosis. That providing of that joy becomes so addictive. If I had a comedian parent, I'd just go, give us a set. How do you get stern with fuckers when you've been Dougal? I know, I know, I know. Well, luckily, luckily I have a wife who's, 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 even though most people think she's a lot funnier than me, uh, she's, she is the yin to my yang. And, and I, and I guess she has more authority than I ever managed to muster. But um, I have my limits as a parent. Like, I mean, I, I have a good relationship with all my three children. And, uh, you know, I think they do respect me. I think they've actually grown to like my comedy quite a lot over the years as they've got older and copped on to what I was actually trying to do. Um, and, you know, they, they, there's certain lines that I don't think they'll cross with me and I won't cross with them. So a, a role that's not often talked about, but I remember watching because somebody once told me that I looked like a character in the show and I took pride in it. So I kind of studied it. That Skins character you play is disturbing. Yeah. He's a fucking scary guy. Yeah, he is. He's a CD. But he's not necessarily Corrupt. that bad. When he when he kind of pervertedly kisses the young Naomi character, whatever, yeah. bump, he's then apologetic. He's a really well-acted, pedophile kind of self-hating fucker yeah. when he's taking that role. When I saw you play that, because um, I probably hadn't seen you since Father Ted, I was going, shit. He's storing yeah. something there. Oh, well, listen, I'm glad you brought that up. Uh, no one else ever does. Uh, <laughs> I love doing that. And that was the brilliant thing about Skins at the time. Like, not only was it bringing on young actors, it was giving people like me, who were associated with certain things, yeah. a chance to step out of their comfort zone and to do, try something radically different. Most people, like, you know, I, I, I've been lucky in my career. Like, Father Type was a great door opener. and, and but, but, with the best will in the world, people just want you to do a version of that, certainly for the first few years afterwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Skins comes along and goes, well, what do you want to do? Grow and a I go, beard. Well, I, oh, well, I want to play, play a seedy, scruffy, slightly corrupt, compromised individual. And so they, so they got me to play this teacher who has a relationship with a mother and daughter simultaneously. The mother was played by Olivia Coleman, who's gone on to... yeah. Uh, wonderful things but um, so that was really nice I mean it was a small part it was uh, I was only in a few episodes but I really I really enjoyed doing it and it definitely gave me a taste for more serious stuff and you know and you know and I really tried to reinvent myself around that time now easier said than done obviously because um, of the popularity of things like Father Ted and other things but that is acting just time. a series of kind of amplifying inner demons positive or negative well, like, does that character come from somewhere? Well, that's interesting. I mean, it's 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 a number of things. I mean, acting. First of all, I think a lot of actors are more. Now, this does not apply to me. Like, I'm actually a well-adjusted person, believe it or not, and I am quite sociable and I'm quite outgoing, and I have friends. A lot of actors are people who are more comfortable playing other people than themselves. There's no doubt in my mind. I've met a lot of them over the years, and some people, the, be- the best actors, actually, I think, are people who actually don't like being themselves. So. You know, and I'm sure 
you know, I've elements of that. You know, the self-doubt thing is never far from the surface with a lot of Irish people. I, you know, there's no doubt about it. And I'm, 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 I'm no. And in fact, I, I Our don't really to hate ourselves is unrivaled. It, it's brilliant. It's wonderful. It's time honoured. It's. You know, it's been that way for generations. It's the isolation of the island, really. Yeah, but it's the also isolation it's also, is just guaranteed. It's also internalized oppression. You know, you must remember, like we were told that we were inferior beings yeah. for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah, we were told that we were subhuman for hundreds and hundreds yeah. of years. So we've internalized that. Now I think we're kind of over it now, and we're not really over it in terms of we still victimize ourselves whenever we can, and I always yeah. feel like the world owes us something. And I've said this to other people in other episodes. When John Delaney asked for us to be the 33rd team of the World Cup, <laughs> for me, that's summed up Ireland. It's craven. What the fuck are you talking about? Yeah. It's a handball. Get over it. I know. We then claim to be the uh, oppressed and claim to be kind of liberal and not judge anyone. And then the headline that was ran in the Irish paper the next day was Hand of Frog. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, you know, we're we're a mass of contradictions. We like don't really a, own ourselves, like everybody. Else. Not we really, really, but we're ourselves. getting there. We're getting there. Like we, we, but we have constructed a sense of we have a great origin myth, like that we're descended. But from we an we kind of gave it to the states. Our emigration is our story. At the same time, we have managed to carve out so, a space for ourselves. Like we, we, you know, in terms of our, let's say, our music, our, you know, our people are our biggest export. I agree with you there. But, you know, our culture is not far behind, you know, in terms of our it's getting literature. Bad. Even our comedians, like we export a lot of comedians to Britain when I went. I was that, I was that way. Culture in Ireland now is excessive, though. Minimum creativity, overpriced coffees, overpriced pints. Okay. Fucking Elephant Castle arriving in Wicklow. I'm not going to entirely disagree with you, but I will say this about my own three children. And they're not, I don't think they're unique. They have a really uh, healthy... What is it like? You know, they're 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 much more aware than I was at that age in terms of like how to relate to other people. Okay. They're very comfortable in their own skin. They're they're very environmentally aware. They're very kind of you know not exactly woke, but but they're uh, you know they're 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 just sensitive generally to to other people. Uh, so I think they're I think they're well adjusted. They're well educated, um, and I think they'll be okay. <laughs> I see a lot of people who would have been in the comedy scene of 90s, 80s, even the early 2000s, and their kids come along with a woke thing that they would have probably 10 years ago gone, shut up, don't be influenced by that. But for the sake of relating to my spawn, I love you more than I love my own opinion. I'm yeah. going with it. But that's that's how we evolve. Like, you know, like you, you take the big, uh, the big social issues, the big referendums we had over the years. So you had the marriage equality referendum. Yeah. Uh, which legalized gay marriage. I think the first country in the world to have a mass referendum on this, and it was voted in overwhelming numbers. And that was people like our president at the time, who was Mary McAleese. Her son was an out gay person, and she would have been like she would have been an icon of the conservative forces of Ireland. But she came out very strongly in favour of marriage equality, and that was due to her own personal situation, where her son was an out gay man. But the Pope's also you know, nearly starting to accept it. Yeah. But it's, I mean, just go, is, it's just trying to fight against and cancellation. It yeah, it's but just it, financial. Yeah, but, but ultimately... If McAleese came out and goes, I'm against myself, she's never selling a book again. Yeah, I know, but like, but like the, the, but the point is that, you know, this the ideology is poison, you know, no matter what ideology you subscribe to. Like, because ultimately, I don't understand why that shit goes to a vote. I don't know why we vote on gay marriage. Who fucking cares? Yeah. Obviously marry. What yeah. are we talking about? Exactly. What is marriage exactly. anyway? Exactly. And I don't understand why men necessarily have a vote on abortion. Yeah. I mean, that's, again, 
absolutely fair enough. But the reason that that referendum was won, and it was won on social media, and it was won on people talking to people, and it was won on people telling their personal stories, because, you know, that's that'll always trump ideology. There's a patriarchy at the heart of all of this wokeness, though, as well, in which men are kind of slowly feeding these notions of equality whilst ignoring the real issues. If you want to vote on abortion, why should a man, a 52-year-old guy on a farm in Limerick, have the same ability to affect the decision as a 26-year-old who has experienced it? I know. When we talk about women in the workforce, they can join the workforce and get into these positions of power as long as they adopt male competitive fucking go to the bar, cutthroat yeah. bullshit. I mean, I'm absolutely... And there's, <laughs> there's a lot of dudes marching who are pretending to be woke, but are really... I think there's a lot of creeps who are who are aligning themselves 100%. like with, 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 with certain issues like that. You know, oh, people no, there's, who are ingratiating there's, there's, themselves with women. And there's, there's a lot of guys who have repeal on their shirt that may as well say, rapist, just change the letters. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, we'll march outside the Bernard Shaw. We'll yeah. then moan that that's been closed yeah. down. We'll then do a bit of cocaine, yeah. a bit of ecstasy. We'll have six drinks, and yeah. later on, I'm in the bedroom. I'm the biggest man that ever lived. I'm Winston fucking Churchill, yeah. and we've had eight yeah. fucking tabs of ecstasy. Well, I think there's, a, I think there's definitely an element of that. Um, but having said that, I also think that, um, you know, some of these these, uh, these campaigns have changed the lives for women. I mean, for example, the right to choose thing in Ireland has, has changed uh, uh, life for women. I also think that, you know, while there is a patriarchy, it is being challenged. And I do think uh, uh, there is movement. Like I'm in the industry that I work in, mostly TV industry, like the vast majority of producers I work with now are women. Um, a lot of the directors are, are women. Um, in fact, most of the shows that get off the ground nowadays are are, are, are led by female cast. Uh, there's an awful lot more uh, writers in comedy and drama now who are women. So that has changed like literally almost overnight in the last three or four years. Yeah. So that's a big thing. That's yeah, a big no, deal. No, it, all it these, big all deal. those women's stories yeah. are being told. And they should and, be. And they pro- should be. The and, they're, and, they're, and they're equally as good as men's story, s- s- stories. But, uh, uh, but always where? And this whole thing that we're slowly yeah, dripping them, we're writing. But but what do we do? In 20 years, we eventually have equality. If we could get it into our psyche that we are fucking equal off the bat, it shouldn't be an achievement that females are directing yeah, and I writing. Agree 100%. There's just an absolute disgusting culture in which we still make the decisions. Yeah, yeah. but it is changing. That is the point. And, and, and like, you know, while you and I would love it to change right now, over, you know, radically at the drop of a hat... I mean, you know, the world turns slowly, always has done. But cancellation culture doesn't help it. No, I mean, it's counterproductive, ultimately. It pushes people back into their trenches is what happens a lot of the time with cancel culture. Why do you have to have a villain? We had a villain for years. Learn off us, sad cunts. I know. Well, that's, there is a, a fight back. Yeah, there Why is. can't it be a fight together? But that's how it's always worked. You know, like, 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 like the, the revolution always goes too far, you know, and, and a lot of heads are chopped off. Uh, uh, and then over time, you know, stability stability emerges. Um, in relation to the cancel culture thing, like I, I think there's also a danger that you could overstate it. Do you know what I mean? It's 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 not really as pronounced as it sometimes is in the media because, and particularly on social media, where everything is magnified and everything is a fight to the death. Um, you know, like like I I, I do stand up still uh, a lot of it. And sometimes I'm on mixed bills. And in stand-up nowadays, uh, 
uh, identity politics is a really big deal. So a lot of people on a bill will be talking almost exclusively about their identity, whether it's as a bisexual woman or whether it's as a, a black guy or, or, or whatever. Now, I'm a bit old and crusty, and I'm sort of just all about the comedy. And and I've learned, you know, even though I might have been worried a, f- a few times over the last five or ten years, oh, am I still relevant as a pale male and stale white guy? Uh, uh, but I'm, I've come to the conclusion that my point of view is every bit as valid as every other human being's point of view in the world. For a start, I've got the added advantage of experience and know-how. Uh, and when I do these shows, people like me as much, if not more, than everybody else in the bill. So, so I think we're in danger of overstating the yeah, it's all just words. the perils. Yeah, you know, we do li- love arguing and we love ideas, and that's why we're here today talking these things o- uh, over. The left wing now express hate. That wasn't always the message was yeah. love, and now the message has become opposition focused. Absolutely, it is. It's it's horrible. It's so adversarial. It's so confrontational. It's black or white. It's it's everything in politics, culture wars, everything, and it's really unfortunate. It's it's horrible. I hate it. What do you make of the Graham Linehan thing? I had him on two years ago. He knew, yeah. and he really kind of thought he was doing a. I'm speaking yeah. up against the Nazis and the Jewish culture in the I 1940s know, I thing. Know, I know. Um, Look, on a personal level, I feel sorry for Graham Linehan. I think he he he. Um, he, I don't know how he got involved in this particular issue and why he became so obsessed with this particular issue and so absolutist about this particular I feel sorry issue. for him as well because um, he, he's not overly wrong. Well, I mean... You he's see, not wrong to the point of cancel... cancel no, 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 okay, opinion. okay. Well, look, I think, you, I think uh, you know, uh, you have to be careful how you tease this out. Uh, I certainly do in my position because... Yeah. You know, people would just jump yeah, any sort of faux pas I make. But like the way I would, the way I would see it is, what I would say about it is that uh, it was the it was probably the way he handled the debate. He is a confrontational online on on His social Twitter media. Shit's so stupid because verbally um, he doesn't come across that way. Yeah, but you see, like uh, having a debate on Twitter. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, there's the, like like have it in a podcast where you can actually tease things out across the table with someone. But to do it on Twitter with a megaphone, uh, you know, in that in that toxic in, environment, I mean, you're not going to win. You're, you're never going to win that debate. So so basically, he is the architect of his own downfall from that point of view. Like, you take someone like J.K. Rowling, who's probably got more credibility as a feminist and as an old-school feminist, um, who has probably, you know, like like... You know, she. You know, yes, there probably is a point of view that she's entitled to, as is Graham entitled he, to his he's point of view. Patriarchy. He was the critic of the Catholic Church and the women's role in yeah. Irish society, and all. He was. He was a guy who. who yeah. No. And and look, that that's absolutely fair enough. And 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 you know, there there is an argument there. Now, look, I am very much a person who doesn't know the answer in terms of, in terms of legislation, in terms of everything. I don't know. My instinct as a human being and as a citizen is that. Everyone should be able to live the very best life they can live. Now, when when it comes to transgender people, I don't know what that is. A lot of his points about d- the children, though. A lot of his stuff is about the parents making. Uh, well, a lot of his stuff is about the extremes. Is about the extremes. It's about oh, men men will men will go into female dressing rooms and men men will you know men will go into and prison. about prepubescent medication to change yeah, the I know, I know. So so look, I don't follow the debate as closely as you do, obviously. And you know, it is it is an issue that I'm still learning about all the time. And I'm still, you know, listening and learning and trying to figure out 
a position on this. I don't have a worked out position on this. I don't know if there's uniformity within the transgender community about this Isn't it strange the way, like, all we want to do as people, you're a creative artist who provides nothing but his observation about the world for the entertainment of others, and that's your legacy, that they have put such a constant pressure on all of us that even when the, the topic... Of talking about this comes up, we nearly need to have our guard up. Well, on our know, it's know. scary stuff. But it's the world we Why live can't in. we live in a world which, even though, even if you agree or disagree, yeah. you can just say "fuck him." Too much arrogance. A writer went to I his know. head. He's overdoing it, or else he's a bit right. He's getting harshly treated. But you make sure you have to go. I don't know about. Do you not feel like the fucking? I do. I Gestapo. We're sitting outside the studio. I do. Wrong I mean, culture scary. No, no, it, it is. It is. I agree with you a hundred percent. But you know what, like. You know, the, the, but you know, what, like, is the issue that important to you that you need to go out on a limb like that? That's that's the way I would look at it. For example, I mean, you know, there are issues that are important to me that I you nearly that I respect tend to, them though because I tend to dwell on because it was risky and rejected by RTE to to fucking portray the Catholic Church the way he did back in the nineties. He went out on a limb there. Like yeah. think about the aunties and the grannies mates he would have fell out with then. <laughs> Yeah. And he saw you on stand-up. He got Morgan in. He got these great comedic guys who fit the cast. Part, and he wanted to make his, his... Him and Arthur Matthews' message was, yeah. fuck the Irish Catholicism, really. Yeah. He's always gone out in the limb. No, he has. And, and he and was out. He, I remember there was when he when he was on Twitter first, when he was very evangelical about Twitter, he he got involved in, in you know, campaign, you know, trying to do away with the burqa and things like that. You know, so he does pick... <laughs> yeah. Controversial issues. There's no question about it. But I, 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 for me, you know, who, you know, yes, I am a fence sitter, but also, you know, I think as an artist, you, I think it's, I think it's your responsibility to stay very independent, actually, uh, very non-partisan in terms of politics, and um, you know, try and explore issues from both from from every side. But my my point in terms of wokeness is that the only people we should cancel are the people that are making it up. Even if Graham Linehan is fucking a mile off and he's so wrong and doesn't understand what these people are going through, if he believes it, we should hear him. Because if he believes it, we can change yeah. his mind and we can talk. No, but absolutely but the cancellation of people like him off social yeah. media and ruining his life and all this shit. It's ridiculous. Yeah, no, he believes absolutely. it on a he's personal level I feel so sorry for the man. You know he's a he's a loss to comedy writing for sure. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. Uh, but you know he 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 may have a second act or a third act. I don't know. Um, Louis C.K. has made a spectacular comeback, uh, and you know because he was probably more. It's all about money, isn't it? C.K. That they, could they fully cancel him? He was a pot of gold. Yeah, Dave Chappelle has weathered everything that's been thrown at him. Uh, maybe it's different in America. I don't and know. And Lennon also isn't a stand-up. He can't verbally explain it constantly. He doesn't have the audience of the Pam. Yeah, maybe. Although Roger. he did have a massive Twitter following. Uh, but I, I also think you know, Graham. Like you know, how did he handle the argument? I don't think he handled it very well. Yeah, no. I have seen some tweets in which he properly lets himself down, which I don't understand why he did it. But I think the anxiety built up. But he got very passionate about it, and I know, and he, but but he became very single-minded about it as well. You know, and so. Like, he lost perspective on it, I feel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, now, I don't know, because I actually did not follow it that closely. The even fight though, got even too bad, so everyone went mental. Stalin ended up fucking letting them kill his but own that's son, what, as opposed to... But that's what happens. You double down. You get involved in a yeah. spat, and you want to win the argument rather yeah, yeah, yeah. than rather than actually... You know, you want to score points yeah. rather than actually win the argument, is the way I see it, almost. You know, or... So, 
so it's it's very problematic, and it's very problematic for anyone in the public eye to speak about it as well, as you know, because um, you might say the wrong thing, or you or you or you mightn't you mightn't represent you mightn't express fully, you know, what you what you genuinely think yourself. You know, it's 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 tricky. You're only the second guest I've ever had to arrive um, with representation by Brian Robson. Um, <laughs> it should be explained that I am uh, uh, promoting my second novel at this time in history. And I have a very wonderful publicist who is bringing me around to my various appointments today. I wouldn't be able to find my own way around. I thought it was remarkable how you write suicide. In terms of the book, um, you write suicide quite well. Oh, thank you. I don't know if it's something to be proud of. (laughs) The greatest uh, line in that book for me is the description of The Undertaker. And The Undertaker being paranoid about the judgment of his business by leaving the coffin open. Yeah. And why people were asking, why is the coffin open, as opposed to the fact that why the fuck did he shoot himself? Yeah, yeah. That Those two paragraphs, probably on around page 22, capture small-town Irish society. Yeah. About six or seven years ago, I um, I uh, had this draft of a, of a novel which I'd been playing around with and I was really enjoying. And then I ended up getting busy with other stuff, like going off to do uh, TV drama and stuff like that. So I parked it until the pandemic came along and then I got stuck into it again. Uh, so it was great to have it during the pandemic because I don't know what I would have done with myself if I didn't have it. Uh, so Where are you getting the ideas, though? Well, I, I mean... Do you know someone who's killed themselves? Well, uh, everyone does, yeah. you know. Uh, but who's the guy, who's Dove based on? Um, ach, I mean, an amalgam probably of different of different people, different characters, you know. Uh, but, you know, and, 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 and I guess you... With the artistic self-hatred expressed... Well, every character is... Himself every, car- every character is a manifestation of yourself, ultimately. You know. Um, so, so you there's know... So do- there's a bit of Dove in you. Probably in terms of, like, the sensitive... What role. about the Philip character? Again, uh, parts of him would be manifestations of me. I think every character is a kind of an aspect of yourself. But, again, you know, some of the... Some of the the broad strokes like are based on people I would have known as well, yeah. but it's a work of fiction. I mean, you know, like every like every novel, it's an alternate reality. You know, where you draw on loads of different sources, loads of different inspirations, everything you read, hear, see, smell, experience. Once you'd done the final draft of it, did you regret taking the quarter of a century out? <laughs> like if you published Talk of the Town in ninety eight, yeah, just fucking do one and no one. Was it the trauma of the the mentor essentially out of nowhere dying? that creatively just threw... Because the rise... You move to London at 28. Yeah. You're the Irish guy who has this really rare self-deprecative humour. Um, you get to the... Well, you're fucking doing live acting. Like, like Father Ted's live audience stuff. It takes over the world. Steven Spielberg is commenting on how good this shit is. He knows your face. Mm. And Morgan, always the unfounded Irish genius who got his role. Mm. Um, you can still smell him when you're walking around Dublin. Yeah, He's yeah. just one of those characters. Yeah. He's Yates. Yeah, you can smell yeah. Morgan. Was the fact that he died out of nowhere something that just made you kind of one of those things that it's above work? Did you kind of not know what to do for the next few years? Um, no, I mean I wouldn't. I, I always, I always kept busy. You know, always kept busy doing my own thing. Whether that was writing, stand up, other TV stuff. I mean, you know, Dermot's passing was definitely a kind of a I wouldn't say a wake up call, but you know, it kind of like. You know, you go, oh my God, life is short, life is precious, you know, don't waste time. Like, you know, definitely you think, like, I think you think about that, like when anyone close to you passes away, you know, you just think, what am I doing with my life? So you definitely take stock. And Where do you think he'd be now if he'd live, post-head? I don't know, actually. He was uh, he was a funny sort of character, you know. Um, would have been a Hollywood role kind of thing? I don't know. I don't know what he would have done. He, 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 he would have liked 
to get his own projects off the ground. And I'm sure he would have got stuff off the ground, you know, in, in a Coogan-type way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure he would have got got different things going. I mean, he was a he was a, he had a very active imagination. He he was always working on something. You know, I think he felt he was in the last chance saloon in terms of like he had sort of, you know, he had he had burnt himself out in Ireland. Uh, he'd done all he could there, and this was his first big break in the UK. So you know, he was he was determined to make hay after Father Ted, and then of course he was stopping his tracks. Were you were you at that party the night before when he died? No, I was at my own little thing. Like he he was with his family and friends. I was with my family and friends. Um, it was just a night. It was basically a night after we finished filming. The last episode. Yeah, yeah. were you good mates with him? Yeah, pretty good. I mean, in the, in the, you know, in the sense that we'd worked closely together for three or four years, and we did sort of, you know, you become you forge very intense friendships on these. Um, TV sets and stuff like that because you're working together all day long you're laughing you know we got on very well and to be honest with you like we saw each other a lot between series as well we used to play five aside together and things like that um, and we used to see each other at Christmas for a drink and everything so you know and in fact I, I was just uh, his, his partner happened to text me out of the blue the other day um, about something and y- y- you know so so uh, no I mean I had an awful lot of time for him and we got on very well together Um there was there was a really good camaraderie on that set. It never spilled over into any sort of rivalry or animosity or anything. In fact, Paulie McGlynn, who played Mrs. Doyle, I, I've worked with her for the first time in 25 years over the last couple of months. We actually play a married couple in a, in a thing, um, in, a, in, a, in a thing called Rosie Malloy. Get, it gives up everything, and we play her parents, uh, this character, Rosie Malloy. What's the shift like from I'm a nobody and we're taking a risk here on a pre-show and I want fame to then the second series, and now we have excessive fame. You're thrown into this world, and it's an exciting world, and it's a bit daunting as well. Um, you know, so, and I think there's always this tension, and I think it goes for probably anyone in the public eye, anyone in the performing arts, you know, between this desire for, you know, to keep your privacy and to to, to just keep your head down and, you know, to mine mine it for all it's worth, you know. So there, you're always going to have that tension. Do you know what I mean? Like like every time you do a new show or every time, like, for example, every time you write a book or whatever, you're putting it out there, it's going to be subject to scrutiny. It's out of your hands in some ways, what people think. And, you know, it takes a long time for you to learn to let that go and not to let it get in on you or bother you, you know, uh, the, way, the way people might be scrutinising you. I think my family are kind of very proud. They're always a little bit nervous on my behalf, I would say. Um, you know, like, you know, they, 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 you, you know I, I, think, I think they would take criticism of me more personally than I would take it of myself, probably. Um, and I don't think they've ever had a problem with that, with that kind of fame. They know, they know it won't go to my head, um, you know, in any way that, like, you know, I live a fairly quiet, modest sort of a lifestyle uh keep my head down, love the work, love going out to work, whether that's on live on a stage or on a TV set or whatever, you know. So, like, I, I think I've found a good, healthy way to live my life. Do you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I love the work. Um, it but I'm able to leave the work behind when I close the door in my house. But it's because not that you're hard. you're advertising your personality and your humour, which yeah. are things everyone wants. Everyone yeah. wants to be the funny guy or the guy who can express themselves, and you have to portray yourself as the guy who doesn't give a fuck what people think, yet we all do, obviously. Yeah. What's that separation like when that door does close? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you learn, you learn, you learn. At the start, it, it's probably harder than it is now, but, I mean, you know, you kind of, you know, you get used to anything, really. 
it's a roller coaster and you don't know what to expect next. You you you, you literally don't know from one day to the next what you're going to be doing, um, how it's going to be received. You just don't know. You just you just plow on, you know, you go on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And, you know, I, I like I think I have a good balance in terms of, you know, uh I spend a lot of time not doing an awful lot, um, which is great as well. Uh sitting at home, reading, watching stuff, playing tennis, going for walks with the dog, hanging out with my family seeing my friends for coffee you know so so i i think i have a good work-life balance actually and the pandemic reinforced that if anything you know that that this is you know you really do have to make the most of every day and 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 treasure every day enjoy every day and and um you know it's all about people it's all about interactions what did you make of the situation yesterday with uh leads i was happy i was elated i was relieved were you um, nervous watching it i didn't actually couldn't bring myself to watch it as in, it meant too much to you. It it it, it actually. It, I, I was sick. I was. I, I've been sick since Christmas watching them, uh, and every week it's just been another colossal disappointment. So even though I'm I'm very elated that they're still in the Premier League, uh, I'm still deeply distressed by how badly it all went. Did how, you stay loyal to them throughout the years of? Yeah, I did. Championship yeah. and League One. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. What do you make of the whole Jesse Marsh situation? Do you buy into <laughs> the like? Do you find do you see the comedy as the Ted Lasso, or do you think that? He's actually a half decent sports manager. I, I th- well, I mean, it's hard to get it's hard to get over your prejudices about Americans and yeah. soccer. Uh, so I'm not sure yet. I mean, you know, I'm prepared to give him the benefit of the doubt. Uh, the wheels came off the Bielsa project, which is you know painful. It was painful to behold at the time. Um, but you know, the definition of madness is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. And I think Bielsa was guilty of that. Do you think it was stayed up? Bielsa stayed. I don't know. I don't think so. I think it, it it was just imploding at that stage. So I don't know. I think the name is big enough to pull Leeds yeah. back into minimum Leicester level in the next few years. Yeah, you would think. You would hope, actually. Um, you know, because they're obviously a, a, a big town club and they're the only club in that big city, you know, capital of Yorkshire. You know, I think it's one of the few, they're one of the few clubs you can say they, they should be a big club. And, and you could say with a fair degree of confidence, they will be a very big club again. Uh, they definitely need more investment. You know, they they missed the boat in terms of bringing in new players. So last big Christmas. though Leeds was that like that oh one semi final the Champions League. People think that was a shot in the dark out of nowhere. It wasn't. Leeds were European Cup finalists. The Don Revy era, all that shit yeah. kind of goes. It's like Liverpool as a United fan. I never thought they were fucking gone. Yeah. And if they think United are gone now, they're just delusional. Leeds yeah. were never gone. They were never always gone. going to come back. They won the league in ninety two. They always had huge support, even in the championship, even when they dropped down another division. They always had like really big support like yeah. over 20,000 people were coming to see them every week so support's kind of what does it it's the reason Newcastle were bought yeah. is their fan base but and I actually going to see but I actually didn't mind like like yesterday I was totally resigned to an, an, another season or two in the championship and I was kind of almost looking forward to that thinking well you know that's a great division that's a great league you know uh, every match is competitive in that league it'll mm-hmm. be great Leeds will win a lot of matches they might lose some and they might draw some but you know they'll be competitive every game so I, I was kind of absolutely resigned to that uh, Ardle Hanlon um, appreciate you coming on thanks very great much to talk thanks to for you. having me Brouhaha is that how you pronounce that's it? that's how you pronounce it Brouhaha can mean anything it can mean you know I fell over it can mean there was a massacre down the road you know it's a great read and there's many people listening to this who are uh, so fucking unaware they could do with the literature thanks for tuning in MA show it's been how many years my boy